We are going to talk about Revelation this morning. Um, And I'm just going to read this passage. It says, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to talk about Peter realizing that Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you, Jesus said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Ooh, that's a powerful statement. Oh, my God. I just shake just hearing that. I mean, the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they've been waiting for, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You couldn't have known this. No person could have made this real to you. No person there's no amount of religion or person that, that could help you see what you just saw. <clears throat> he says, so you are blessed. Ble- the very first words out of Jesus' mouth, I'm trying not to preach, I'm trying to get through this sermon, I mean this passage, but the very first words are, you are so blessed for this divine revelation. But this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is a a huge blessing that God is giving him for this divine revelation. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay, this is so full of meat and I am going to try to get through this in our allotted amount of time and you know that we, we're not going to be able to have um, session for a week or maybe two I rent my house out during furniture market so it's going to be one or maybe two weeks till we can get back so I'm going to get through this whole thing because I can't give you part of it and come back in two weeks so we are going to get through this is meaty and I just pray that God will help me get be concise because I want you to not miss anything that's in here so here's the thing a lot of us were raised with religion. A lot of us know religion. And this is a talk between revelation and religion. And this is the difference between revelation and religion. Um, because, there, because religion could not make this real and powerful to him. Religion couldn't do that. Only revelation. Only divine revelation. And, and, and what we have a lot of is religion. What we don't have a lot of is divine, powerful revelation that, is, that, that shakes the gates of hell. And revelation is, is meant from God to man to overcome hell in our own lives, in our own families, and the world around us. We, when we obtain revelation, there is nothing that can stand against us. And that's what he's saying. There is nothing. So we've got to understand the difference here. Um, this is a divine encounter. And, you know, last week we sat around and we talked a little bit about my testimony. I had religion and I was devoted 
and I loved God, but I had a divine encounter that absolutely transformed and rocked every single thing in my life. I mean, everything around me changed, and all of us are sitting here today because of divine encounter, which is very different. So I want to talk about religion. Um, It teaches us things. So religion is important. It teaches us things. It gives us a structure. Um, and, and, you know, so we don't throw out this, this uh, beautiful structure and knowledge and guidelines. But it is a structure. It is, um, it is, it is so, you know, we, we raise children, right? And when we raise children, we give them a bunch of structure and a bunch of guidelines and a bunch of, but we're not meant to spend the rest of our life pounding over them, demanding things of them, right? It's a, it's a, it's a structure, it's a, it's a scaffolding for their lives that eventually is meant to be torn down for them to live in their own fullness, right? We give this outline of, of, of teaching, but that's, it's, it's temporary, as parents, we aren't meant to be like this the rest of their lives. We do that for, you know, 18, 24 years till they graduate from college. And then they're going to have to do – that, we pray that, that that scaffolding is going to be torn down and they're going to live their lives. And we pray that that structure is there to help them live it from their own hearts, right? We pray that they grow up to have in their own hearts morality. We pray that they grow up in their own hearts to have decency and godliness and you know, so, so that is what religion is. Religion is just that. Religion is something that is a scaffolding to be removed. That's the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, right? It's all the laws and all the rules that were meant to be removed when the Holy Spirit came. And then we interact out of a place of love. We, out of, out of, out of, we interact as children. Um, and, and so... So religion isn't bad, but it's not what this is about. And this is a really important point, and I just pray. So in Galatians 3.24, it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Everything comes back to faith. That's why I always start with faith. So it's the, the law, religion, is a tutor to bring us to Christ by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. It's a temporary scaffolding. And it's not meant to be, it's meant to go away. That's not meant to be the structure of our life. But so much about, uh, about our faith or church or whatever is about the scaffolding. We focus on the rules. And if not that the rules aren't important, my goodness, the rules, they are, they are structure. Just like we teach our children. We don't want our children to grow up and do away with the rules, right? So that, the fact is it's meant to be absorbed into who they are. <clears throat> and that's what, <clears throat> that's what revelation does. It takes us from a religious, rule-based <clears throat> situation where we either take it or leave it. We decide whether or not we're going to take or leave certain parts of it. We decide whether, you know, it's a smorgasbord and we take what we want. And instead, it's a divine encounter, a powerful encounter that makes the power of God real to us. Um, You know, when Jesus, when people were constantly questioning and doubting what Jesus did, and who was it that questioned and doubted what Jesus did all the time? The religious ones. 
interestingly enough, it was not the prostitutes or the tax collectors or the most bad, you know, it was the religious people who were always criticizing. And, and he constantly said, I do what I see my father do. Now, it wasn't written in the law. Jesus lived by revelation. You know, the, the Peter, this came to him by revelation. Jesus lived, it was not written out word for word. We as Christians live by a powerful revelation. And, and ev- our everyday lives are meant to, so they're constantly going, <clears throat> wait a second, this doesn't line up with all the rules. And, we, and Jesus is like, no, 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 I live by revelation. I live by a divine, a constant divine intercounter in inter- interaction with the Father. And I just know what I'm supposed to do. And that's the way we're meant to live because there are way too many twists and turns in our lives that don't, <clears throat> are not written in the word. And we're going to talk about all this. There's a lot of things that we're just like, it's not there. Now, listen, if it's there, we know, you know, thou shalt not lie, right? But guess what? There are, you've got, you've got Rahab the prostitute who lied to save the Israelites, right? And she saved their lives. And because of that, her whole family was saved. And because of that, she was King David's, like, great-great-grandmother. God honored her so much for that lie. So wait a second. That doesn't make, because there's divine revelation. When there's, you know, if you're saving Jews from the Nazis, you're going to lie because divine revelation tells you that that is, that, that there's wisdom. In other words, you can't, you have to live plugged in in order to really know the nuances of life. You have to have divine powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit, and he promises to give us the wisdom that we need when we ask. James 1, I almost quoted every sermon, but whenever we ask for wisdom, he will give it to us generously, generously, without finding fault, if we ask and do not doubt, because those who doubt are tossed back and forth by the waves of the sea, they will expect to receive nothing from the Lord, it says, because we have to ask in faith with absolute confidence. God, I don't know what to do with this particular relationship, with this particular job, with this particular move, with this particular, and knowing he will give it to you. You will hear it when you are plugged into the Holy Spirit, when you are really walking with God. Not in perfection, because we're going to see this. Peter did not walk in perfection, and that's the blessing. Okay. So he says that the passage right before what I just read to you, he says, um, <clears throat> he says, beware. Hmm. So the passage right before Peter says, um, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Jesus says, beware. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, religion. They discussed this among themselves and said, is this because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus says, you have little faith. Interestingly enough, this comes down to faith. Everything comes back to faith. Which religion will say everything comes back to our, our deeds what we do. But interestingly enough, Jesus constantly says it comes back to faith. He didn't say because you, you know, lost your, you know, said a curse word this morning or, you know, lost your temper or got drunk. He didn't say any of that. He says, of you have little faith. Again, not that that doesn't matter. We don't throw that out. But the fact is, for Jesus, it boils down to faith, everything. So he says, you have little faith. Why are you talking amongst yourself about having bread? Do you still not understand do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking about bread? 
But on, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Be on your guard against religion. Because religion will make you think you're okay when you're not. You are powerless. A lot of times you're a hypocrite. You're exhausted because you're trying so hard to be good. He says, be on your guard. I'm telling you, I am warning you. This is a big warning sign against religion. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard, that he, that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the yeast of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees, against the yeast of the teachings of religion. So we can go to church and hear a whole lot of religion, and Jesus isn't saying, yeah, go to church and glean all that. He's saying, I'm warning you against this. This is dangerous. This will destroy you. And we, were, we are going to talk. This is so, religion is so dangerous. You look at the things that have been done in the name of religion. You look at the destruction. You look at the, the gut-wrenching heart, the way people have been destroyed by it. You know, you look at the wars. You look at, that's religion. That is not revelation. And so many people are sitting in churches and they're thinking, I'm just fine because I have my butt in this pew. And they're not, there's no power in their lives. There's no, they're not changing the world. And if you have revelation, you will change the world. I'm going to get there. You can't help but it. If you have religion, you are going to go warm a seat every week and get up and maybe put a few bucks in the thing and go have your brunch and think you're fine. That's the difference between religion and revelation. And, and only, the only people who are changing the world are those who live in Revelation. You cannot change the world based on religion. It says, so he said, beware of the yeast, right, of the Pharisees. What does yeast do? What does it puffs up, the bread? Puffs up, right. So 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. When you have religion... You're going to have a whole, religious people are so, oh my goodness, they know everything. And this is why they screw people up. Because they know so much about God, and they can quote every scripture, and they can, they know all the facts and all the, and, and so they screw people up because they're like, they, they've got to be godly. They've got to be, because they know so much. They, they can quote every verse. But guess what? God says, no, beware of them, and don't let them get in your soul. Stay away from them. Stay away from the religious people because that is deadly. It puffs up. Love builds up. There is such a difference. Love will build up the church and build up the soul. And, and, and what did the Pharisees and Sadducees do? They constantly tore down the believers. They're the ones who crucified Jesus. They couldn't have had it more wrong. They couldn't have been more wrong. So how... How evil is religion? It's more evil than any bad thing. That, and there was a lot of bad stuff going on back then. It's not like that, you know, that's, when, you study, when you study society back then, it was very wicked. More wicked than even now. And, and so it's not like it was, but they were the most evil of the evil. If you crucify the Messiah, the Christ, you are the most wicked people on the face of the earth, and they knew every single scripture. And they quoted it, and they lived it, and they walked around in their robes, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they gave their money and the tithes, and it's the hottest place in hell for them. 
And Jesus says, beware of them. And what we don't want to be is religious. What we do want to be is divine revelation. So um, the amazing thing, sorry, um, is Peter escapes the religion. So, you know, we know there were a lot of disciples there, at least 12, probably more. And he says, Jesus says, um, who do people say the Son of Man is? And only Peter spoke up. And he said, a bunch of prophets, good teachers, maybe Jeremiah reincarnated. We don't know what to make of you. And then Jesus said, but who do you say I am? Only Peter speaks up. You know, he says, the son, the Messiah, the son of the living, powerful, almighty, earth-shattering, life-changing God. And Jesus says, you know, I'm going to repeat this several times because I really want it to sink in. Um, Blessed are you. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Okay, so here's what happens. The second he gets the revelation, he is blessed. The very next thing that happens is that his identity is changed. His purpose falls from heaven to earth. He goes from Simon. Okay, so first he said Simon, right? He called him Simon. This is when his name changes. He goes from Simon. He says, Simon, who do you say I am? He says, son of the living God. He says, you are Peter. His identity changes like that. And that was my experience. So when I see this, it jumps out at the page on, at me because I went from being in the deepest pit, in the most sin, in the worst person, I, the worst form of myself I had ever been. I had a divine encounter with God. And listen, I didn't get it all right. It wasn't, I didn't get everything perfect. But I had an encounter with God, and God told me that I wasn't who I used to be, even though I still didn't have it all right. So God immediately in that moment says, you have a purpose, you have power, you are not who you used to be, you are somebody different as of this moment, but guess what? So, so when we have an encounter with God, all of a sudden, who we are is revealed to us. Who we were created to be, who we were meant to be is revealed. We come to life. You're not Simon anymore as of this moment. Now, listen, you're going to screw up, but I don't care because you're not going to be perfect because nobody's perfect. But as of this moment, because you've had an encounter, you are no longer Simon. You're now Peter. You are Peter. And I'm going to tell you, the gates of hell won't prevail against you. I'll build my, the rock of this church on you. Not because you're perfect. Peter messed up a lot. But because you've had an encounter with me, it's not your perfection. It's the encounter. It's the revelation. So, he says, Peter, you're a rock. You are rock solid. Now, we know this about Peter. Of all of the disciples, he's the loose cannon. Right? We all know that. He's the one who pulls out the sword, cuts off the ear of the guy. He's the one who betrays Jesus. He's the one. He's, he's, he's bigger than life. He's, he's boastful. You know, he's, he's well-meaning, but he's kind of a bumbling, you know, goofball in some ways. And so people might say he's flighty. He's this, he's that. Jesus says, from Simon to Peter, now you're the rock. 
You're no longer that, you're a rock, the opposite of what he naturally was. We go from our weakest thing becomes our greatest strength. The, of all the disciples, Peter would not have been the rock. If you know the disciples' personalities, they're not going to go into, but maybe John would have been the rock. Maybe the other people's natural inclinations would have been the rock. Jesus picks the one who's the opposite from the rock. If anybody, he would have not been the rock. Because, that, because but see, here's the point. We are not, it's not about who we are. It's about who God is and who God miraculously transforms us into. You guys, we sat around yesterday. We talked about the fact that the last thing I am is a teacher. The last thing I am is to get to stand up and talk to women. That this is the last thing. This is not who I am. This is everything I never wanted to do. But when I had an encounter with God, God said, no, this is who you are. And right after I had the encounter with God, I got a prophetic word. And it was spoken over me. It's a miraculous story, a wild story. I mean, it, I had to fly to, I had to, fly to uh, Colorado every single, I mean, cr- it's a crazy story. It's, I don't want to take time today. But I got, but, but all, so many things happen. Like we see the spiritual warfare that happens just around this morning all the time. You can't imagine what, the story is wild. And I'll tell you guys, but to, for that word to come to me, Stephanie, you're no longer what you once were. There's a divine anointing on your life. Don't say no to it because you have a choice. And, and let God guide your life by divine revelation because there are people waiting out there for you that you were created to touch and draw to him and change. You went from Simon to Peter. And it wasn't because I had my act together. I did not. I was a disaster. Why would God say that over me? I didn't deserve it. He doesn't do it. It's what he chooses. We are his workmanship. So, it, so he says, Peter, you're no longer flighty. You're rock solid. You're a stone. You're immovable. The opposite of who you are naturally. And listen, Jesus says this over him before Peter betrays him. So Jesus knows Peter's going to betray him. Hmm. You're rock solid. You're a stone. Yeah, well, he's going to betray you, Jesus. Jesus knows that. He knows the end from the beginning. Because Jesus doesn't speak to, Jesus says, yeah, I know. You're not going to get this all right. You're going to mess up along the way. But this is who I've created you to be, and you're going to keep saying yes to me. And as you keep saying yes to me, you're going to be the stone that I build this church upon. This is who I created you to be. And if you will say yes every step of the way, I'm going to give you divine revelation, step by step. We're going to talk about this. Step by step, and as you say yes to divine revelation, step by step, you are a rock. You are rock solid. You are no longer known as the flighty one, the one who pulls up a sword and cuts off ears, the one who betrays me, but you are solid. I just, I love, I love that because that is my story. And if it's Peter's story and my story, I think it's probably, if we sat down with every person who's had a divine encounter with God, I guarantee you they would say we didn't do it all right. We didn't get it all perfect. But all along the way, I would hear the voice of God by divine revelation, and I would say yes to it, and God turned me into something I was no longer, I wasn't before. So, you know, people, people will say, hey, there goes Simon. And they're like, no, that's not Simon anymore. That's Peter. People who knew me before, they could tell you, I am not the person I was before. 
you know, I'm not Simon anymore. I'm a Peter. So here it says, um, God said, so how does this happen? It says, be, being confident, uh, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus said, you didn't start this. Just bring the whole thing in, Lisa. Bring the whole pot in. Are you getting the pot of coffee? Yeah, just bring the whole thing in. We'll, keep, we'll bring it in here. For it. it says, he, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. I, you didn't start this work in you. You, 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 you did not start this work in yourself. I started the work in you. And nobody else started the work in you. So it doesn't matter if they criticize. It doesn't matter what they do or don't see or say or believe or not believe. It doesn't matter if they think you're crazy. I started the good work in you, and I will take it to completion. I mean, that is so powerful. It's not on us to complete this thing. It's not on us. He said, I started it, and I'll finish it. So we don't need... We don't need your perfection or your efforts or your, I just need you to listen and do what I tell you to do. And when you mess up, you get up, you say, Father, I repent. Back up. Brush yourself up. I love the saying, saints are just sinners, you got up again. Saints are just sinners, you got up again. You just keep getting up. Saying, God, I, and, as, and as I was going through this process, you know, I had some really big setbacks. And I would say, Lord God, forgive me. Okay, I'm not going to wallow in that. Done. The blood of Jesus, done. Move ahead. Put that behind me. Because Jesus began the good work, and he's the one who's going to complete it. Um, so we are who God says we are. Not who anybody else says we are. Not who we say we are. God said, you're Peter. So now he's Peter. And he has to have the faith that God will get him to Peter despite his setbacks along the way. So Revelation tells us, I am a tra- I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm transformed. So when we don't believe who God says we are, when we live in disappointment with ourselves, when we stay in a place of disappointment, we are now um, partnering with the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12.10 says, Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, accuses them before God night and day. When we live in a place of we're so disappointed with ourselves, we're so disappointed with ourselves, we're so disappointed with ourselves, you are now partnering with Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren. Peter didn't stay there. He messed up. He did crazy things. He got up. He confessed, and he didn't live in a place of accusation because he's not going to partner with Satan. You, you don't want to partner. You want to partner with the one who died to give you life. You've you got to be set free from the accuser of the brethren. So we have to believe what God says about us more than what Satan says about us and what we say about us or what anybody else says about us. I can tell you, when I got my first, when God told me what he wanted me to do, and I told some people who didn't know me very well. They were just like, I mean, you could see. I mean, and I don't blame them. But I was not dissuaded at all. I was just like, because when you've had an encounter, you know what you know what you know. Nothing dissuaded me. I didn't care what anybody, I didn't care what one soul thought. And it has been tested over and over and over again. 
And I know I am who God told me, and I know I will fulfill what he's told me I will do. And I will not doubt that because when I doubt that, I give Satan a foothold to steal the thing that God has spoken over me. So God's saying to Peter, listen, you're going to go through some things, okay? You're not, you don't have this thing perfected. I'm called, I've told you, you're no longer Simon. You're now Peter, but you're going to go through some things. Because right now, I wrote this out, and I want to read it the way I wrote it because I like the way I wrote it. Right now, you get too discouraged over failure and too excited over blessings. You get too wound up over blessings and too discouraged over the trial. It means you're flaky. You flaky. Right? I want you to be a stone, not flaky. I need someone who will praise me in the high times and someone who will praise me in the low times. Praise me in prosperity and praise me in adversity. I'm making you into a stone. Because you toss to and fro, and I can't use you like that. And I think about all the trials and tribulations I've been through since that divine encounter. It has been nothing but, but I look back on over every single one, and man, I've been changed. I needed it. And I'm not, I haven't arrived, and maybe we never do. But, you know, we need the trials and tribulations. We need our own failures to get over our own selves. We know it's not about us. It's not about our strength. It's not about religion. It's not about, it's not about you know, climbing the ladder of doing, you know, earning it. It's through faith. It's through the power of Jesus. So we need revelation of who Christ is to find out who we are. This is why so many people are lost in life. We look around, how many Christians are as lost, depressed, they don't have meaning, they don't have purpose. Why is it? Because they don't really have a divine revelation of Christ. If you don't have a divine revelation of Christ, you, don't, you are rudderless, you are purposeless, you just have religion, you do not have revelation, you're not living in power. When we, when we look at the church, just as many people are, are on you know, antidepressants or in, you know, broken, lost, you know, and and that's because we, because people don't even know the difference between religion and revelation. When do you hear this? Who do you, who's telling? I didn't know. I, I, I was in church every day of my, every week of my life for, you know, 36 years or however old I was at that point. And did not know. I had religion. I was trying as hard as I could. I would spend an hour praying. I would spend an hour reading. I would do all the do's. And my whole life is the do's and don'ts. And I was powerless. I was exhausted. And everybody around me was powerless and exhausted. And I was like, this isn't real. I came to the conclusion, this is not real. And guess what? Religion isn't. He had to tear down that scaffolding to show me revelation so that I could live in power. So... Peter had now tapped into the river of living water. That's what, that's what it's called, right? We've heard that in the Bible. The river of living water. When you have a divine encounter with God, it is a river. I mean, I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit came into me like that, it, I, you've probably heard my story. I literally fell to the ground and cried so much there was a puddle on the floor good tears healing tears tears blessed 
tears. I cried and I cried. It was a li- it was living water. It began a healing process in me. And that living water is the spirit of God. And the spirit of God has all knowledge. It is, it is all knowledge. And all knowledge shows us step by step. This is how you live. This is, this is what you, this is the steps you take. This is divine revelation for what you need. It's endless knowledge. Uh, you know, somehow when we, ha- revelation says to you, um, I'm like totally losing my notes here, but it says, this is not right for you. There are things on paper that through the way, through the process, where I'm like, this is wrong for me. And I don't know why, because everything about it, you guys may have heard my story, but, you know, I was going to move to, to um, Durham, to Raleigh, Durham, and we, everything worked out perfectly. I wanted a school for Reagan. I had to go, I, literally, they had to take blood. They, we, she had to be interviewed by principals, by psychiatrists, by a, a board. This was for first grade, okay? We get in. Then I, we like modern. You guys know we like modern. We, and we had to rent because we were selling. So I found the most amazing rental property that was modern. And the day I got there, I said, I want to leave my house staged, so I need to rent furniture. And I went really ultra-modern furniture. She said, just this morning, we started an agreement with this modern furniture company. And, I mean, it was like magazine spread exactly what I wanted. And I'm like, hallelujah, this is God, like paving the way. Everything's lining up. Everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. Sometimes things look good on paper. Perfect. Then I go back to Oklahoma. I'm getting ready to go. And my peace. And every time I would read the scripture, it would say, separate yourself. Separate yourself. Separate yourself. Separate yourself. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm not saying a word to Dave. I'm not going to tell anybody. This is crazy. And I couldn't. And my peace is sinking, 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 sinking. I didn't know why. And Finally, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't. I finally, I said to Dave, I like, like this little eeky, mouthy voice. I we're going to bed when I, I kind of don't know why, but I everything's perfect. But I don't really have peace about moving to Chapel Hill. Was where we were ending, moving. Dave's like, yeah, me neither. Neither of us wanted to say it. Why? Everything's perfect on paper. We get down on our knees because because he worked in the middle, right? We could move anywhere. So Chapel Hill, Greensboro, we could move anywhere. We get on our knees. Neither of us have, well, Dave had been to Greensboro like 10 years earlier for like 45 minutes or an hour. He flew in for a meeting and flew out. So he, we knew nothing about Greensboro. I've never been here at all. Get on our knees, hold hands, pray. And when we were done praying, we simultaneously looked up and we said, it's Greensboro. Didn't know where we would live. Didn't know what school we would go to. Didn't know. I called. I said, I had learned to tap into the river of knowledge. I trusted God. I wanted God's best for us. I wanted God's will for us. So I got up, and that school that I jumped through crazy hoops to get in, I called and left. It was midnight. Called and left the message. We're not going to be there. Called and left the apartment complex, the, the, uh, the, the, whatever it was called, the, whatever it's called. Anyway, the, the place, a message, and said, we're not going to be renting the house. We're not going to be renting furniture. We're not going to be renting any of that stuff. Both of them called me back. They're like, we don't understand. Everything lined up so perfectly. We're so confused. You know, well, we just had a change of heart. The rivers of living water, I, the peace guides you. The, the revelation guides you. And I sit here today, and I'm like, and now I know why. That was seven years ago. I didn't know. For the first two years I lived in Greensboro, 
every I couldn't even go to Chapel Hill and Raleigh because I was like, I'm a city girl. I just want to be in the city. Dave, what are we doing here? Uh, this Greensboro is too small for me. Like, I what, 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 we're crazy. Why did, what? Because revelation doesn't, it's, it's not instant gratification. If you look, you look at Abraham, you look at Joseph, you look, God gave them these grand visions, and then how long did it take? Usually 20 plus years, right? So it's not instant gratification. But the fact is, you eventually get where God, God's like, you just trust me. Because you have knowledge. Things that seem right, you're just like, it's just not, I can't, I don't have, I can't have peace with it. Or other things that are right, you, you look at, I could talk about this room, but you, you look at Fanny. You know, Sarah introduces me to Fanny, and within hours she's in my pool and I'm baptizing her. She doesn't even know me. I don't even know her. And she comes up from the water, and I said, I don't know your last name, but I know you're my family. Now, why did she trust me? She didn't know me. We, Sarah is witness. We knew each other. We, we barely talked. You know, we talked a little bit on the ride there and a little bit on the ride back. We were in a gardening class in between. We didn't talk about Jesus. Rebecca. How did Fanny know the Spirit of God lives in her, and I need her to baptize me? And how did I know this is my family? You know, it's the Spirit. How did Robin know? I didn't know Robin. Robin didn't know me. We talked. Robin had this random, we, we had no connections. Our children didn't know. We, but she heard my voice on a voice down. She was like, I feel like I need to know her. She called me up, and we were like, we feel like we need to have lunch. And in the course of a lunch, she says, you have the Spirit of God in you. Will you teach me? And I was on sabbatical, right? And I'm like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. But when she asked me, I knew, yes, God, yes. You had me on sabbatical for my other ministry because you want me now to do this. That's revelation. We live by divine. You just know it. You just know it. You know what you know. And then you don't guess it. You don't guess it. You know, the struggle I'm having every week with these talks and getting sick and crazy stuff happens. Listen, it's been like that every time I've ever ministered. Now I know this is a fight. I have to fight to further the kingdom of God, and I'm going to fight it to the bitter end and, and by faith. So, you know, that's re- so we got, listen, God gave me a divine revelation about Dave. Stephanie, that's your husband. You're supposed to stay with him. Not one thing in me wanted to. I hate to say it. It makes me sick to say it or think it now. I can't even fathom it. But we were two completely different people. We have been transformed by the blood of Jesus. But I was just like, that feels like a death sentence to me. I literally felt like a death sentence. I felt like I was chained to a dead person. And I was because he was. His soul was dead. His spirit was dead. It was, it was, it was miserable to me. And now it is my greatest blessing. It was revelation. I had to obey the revelation. It's not, it wasn't written, you know. It was knowing. Sarah can tell you she had a divine encounter when she met Clyde. She had an experience in a church where God said to her, yep, that's it. And just like Sarah, just like me, listen, rough. God told me Dave's the one. Ten bad years. And then I went over the cliff, and then I made it worse. And then he, and it was terrible. And next, in, in like three weeks, we celebrate our 20th anniversary. And it is a celebration. We are crazy in love with each other it is i i'm like i like this every day waiting for him to get home when are you getting home when are you getting home i can't wait for you to get home i can't wait for you to get home 
all day long we're texting, I miss you, I love you, I miss you, I love you. I mean, you should see, we're ridiculous. If people thought, when I was, when I was at the, I was on a girl's trip with a bunch of my girlfriends who are not Christian, and they saw some of our texts, they're like, this is so cheesy. Do you know how cheesy you are? I said, I am so proud of how cheesy we are. Stay out of my business. But, you know, I'm like, it's a divine, but it was revelation. And it hurt like crazy for a long time after I got the revelation. Revelation is something we have faith in. Lord knows where I am in my notes. Um, so, your revelation, mm. listen, you guys are getting two weeks worth, so three weeks worth because it's this week and then the next two. Okay. Revelation leads us to progress in our life. Revelation does not leave you Simon and it calls you Peter and you know you're supposed to go from Simon to Peter, but how the heck do you get there? How do I get from that hot, broken, broken mess? When I, when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit filled me, and then gave me that prophetic word about who I was now in Christ. He gave me my new identity. I, I literally cried every single hour. I always, people are like, do you ever stop? No one could stand me. The only people who could stand being around me was my mother and Annie. Nobody could stand me because all I did was cry. I was broken. People were sick of my mess. I don't blame them. I, I, my, my childhood friend and my mother were the only people who did not hit the ignore button when I called or run when they saw me enter a room because they were sick of my hot mess. And so was I. And I couldn't stop crying. And I cried. And I, and I remember going, I, I, I remember when it was months after I was filled with the Spirit, and I remember going, I went two hours and didn't cry because I cried every single hour. I was broken but divine revelation entered me and said but that's not who you are i'm going to call you peter and i'm going to make you rock solid and you're going to go through some stuff and it's going to turn you into a stone and you're going to fail you're going to fail me and you're going to fail yourself and you're going to fail the people you love and you're going to be very disappointed in yourself and i command you to get over it brush it off saints are just sinners who get up again i had that written on my bathroom mirror Get up, girl. Go on. Do better next time. I'll help you. And then you're going to fall, and then you're going to do better, and then you're, and then you're going to stop falling, and then you're going to stop crying, and then you're going to stop being broken. Little by little, step by step by step. Divine revelation does that step by step. It leads us. The thing is, I remember the Holy Spirit was like, you have to stop, because I kept saying, how can this ever be? How can Dave ever be? How can I ever be? How can... You know, I was so focused on how I, I couldn't see how this could possibly be what he's telling me I'm going to be, what Dave's going to be, what this is going to be. I couldn't see it. How could that happen? And the Holy Spirit was like, stop living by sight. You live by faith. Revelate. You know what the, 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 the word, the root word of revelation means things that are hidden, hidden or veiled to be revealed or unveiled. Here we go. Revelation, a surprising and previously unknown fact, especially one that is made known in a dramatic way. The Holy Spirit likes drama. And you can't, he's not boring. The Holy Spirit is the opposite of boring. I thought, I mean, it, okay. The stories I have, um, he surprises you when you least expect it. 
with knowledge that you couldn't know. The making note of something that was previously secret or unknown. The divine or supernatural disclosure of human, of something related to human existence or the world, the divine or supernatural disclosure to us. That's what the word revelation means. It means, no, you don't know. You don't know. You, you, you go step by step. You, you want to say, I want to see the whole staircase. Lisa can say, how am I ever going to have my own house? I want to see the whole staircase. The Lord is like, I'm going to show you one step to take, one little step. The, wor- the word of God says, the word is a lamp to my feet, a lamp, not a spotlight, a lamp. You know what that, a little candle shows you one little step, boop, one little step, boop. You don't get to see the whole picture because that's where faith comes in. That's the part. So he said, Stephanie, I want you to stay with Dave Martin, and I don't want you to leave, and I want you to stop trying to make him leave you. Stop trying to destroy this marriage because you want out so bad. And I want you to stay. And I want you to, he told me to stop. The first fast I ever did, the Lord led me to a scripture and it said, stop pointing the accusing finger. Stop pointing at him and what he's doing wrong. Stop it. I'll deal with him. You look at you. And I'm going to show you the step I want you to do. Stay. Okay, I made that commitment. Be loving, be kind, be devoted, put him first. I mean, I'll tell you. And here, you know what, this is very, this is very, this is very, very personal, but I'm going to say it. Get back in the bed with him. That's very hard to do. I thought it was going to kill me. I thought it was going, it, it, the worst thing ever. I would literally just, I, 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 I would literally go to the bathroom and drive heave. I thought it was going to kill me. Obedience is hard by divine revelation and so worth it i mean i can't imagine what if i wouldn't have what if i wouldn't have listened that's not in the bible somewhere you know what if i wouldn't have done it so so but he gave you one little step and one little step and one little step and the same is true at the ministry you guys heard last week i told you the story one little step this is another little step that and here's the thing Nothing is beneath us. Whatever he asks us to do, it, it can be so small. Just tell the truth. Maybe it's just tell the truth. Maybe it's whatever it is. Be honest. Be honorable. Be, but it says, Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. It starts small. The lamp. Just a step. To guide you to Peter. From Simon to Peter. Just one step. Just one step. Just one step. And divine revelation will lead you step by step by step closer into God has prophesied over you who you are once you've had an encounter with him, once you've moved out of religion and into revelation. And the first step is you can't go anywhere without moving out of religion and into revelation. That's the, that, you know, that's, but, but once you do, this is who you become. God deals through revelation in conjunction with our faith. We know Abraham's faith, right? Um, this is an amazing scripture. Abraham received the promises of God because of his faith. It was step by step. God just said, leave your family, leave everybody you know, everybody you love, follow me, go to this land. You don't know where you're going. You know, then he says, Sarah's going to have this child. 
25 years goes by. They're now 100 years old. He doesn't have step-by-step God guided him. Sometimes it didn't even make sense. You know, when I left Chapel Hill, that didn't make sense. It didn't make sense at all. By the way, I hated my rental house here. I left what I loved. I hated my rental furniture. I hated my rental house. What I'm saying is I left something that seemed so perfect to something that I didn't like, but I had to do that to get to where I needed to be. And so Abraham had to leave what was comfortable, what was known, what was to, go, to become the father of faith, to become every, it says every person in the world is blessed because of him. Thank God he used his faith and revelation. Now listen, it wasn't written in the word of God, leave. That was divine revelation, right? That happened through revelation, a knowing in a spirit and a soul, a knowing. That is the Holy Spirit talking to us. But it says, therefore, inheriting the promise depends entirely on faith. That's a good way to start. Inheriting the promise depends entirely on faith. Interestingly enough, this is the Old Testament, and it doesn't say following all the rules, because we know Abraham was a liar. He, he messed up. He didn't have faith, but he changed. The point is we don't stay there. What we can't do is use that an excuse to stay in our stuff, because you can't manipulate God. He knows you're using an excuse. You can't stay there. But eventually Abraham changed. But anyway, so that is a confident trust in the unseen God. That's a hard thing, right? We're trusting in something we can't see. In order that it might give, be the, in order that it may be given as an act of grace. Our anointing, our calling, our purpose is an act of God's grace, not our doing. So that is the whole point. It's the point to how good God is. Peter's calling points to how good God is, not how good Peter was. We already know Peter wasn't good, but he said yes to the call. So that the promise will be legally guaranteed to all the descendants of Abraham. We're, we're operating in blessing because of Abraham. Not only for those, the Jewish believers who keep the law, right? We talk not, not to just those who do the, you know, get it all. You get the point. But also for those Gentile believers who share the faith of Abraham, who is the spiritual father of us all. Can you imagine being the spiritual father of the whole world? Because you just were willing to follow the divine revelation you were given by faith, even though you didn't get it perfect. But you kept saying, God, okay, I messed up. Please help me change. As it is written in scripture, I have made you the father of many nations in the sight of him in whom he believed, that is God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being which does not exist. When I read this scripture back in the day, it says he gives life to the dead and calls what is not into existence. I said that for my marriage. I'm like, this thing is dead. And I call it into existence by the power of divine revelation because God has told me I must stay. You call dead things out in your life. Whatever is dead, whatever relationship, whatever health thing, whatever, whatever burden, whatever, you know, whatever is dead, you call life into it. We have a life-giving God. He is a God of life. Satan is a God of death. God is a God of life. We are of life. We are of power. We are of purpose. Life. We call life into dead things through faith and divine revelation. God who gives life to the dead and calls into being which does not exist in hope against hope. What is hope against hope in your life? What is hope against hope? Lisa's house, this is something that she's talking about. This is a desire of her heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Sarah's marriage, 
each of us, have, you know, Dave and I have been going through so many problems with our, with his job and our finances. And, you know, each of us have burdens. No, and when one is solved, there's another one that isn't. So whatever it is, right? But hope against hope. Isn't that great? Abraham, with hope against hope, believed that he would become the father of the nations. He was barren at 100, and he believed. Hope against hope, the impossible. That's what divine revelation does. Nothing is impossible. It's power. We live in power, and our, our world is so dead and so powerless and so depressed and so hopeless, and that's why we are the light of the world, because we have hope no matter what. As was promised by God. He believes God promised. So numberless, so your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he didn't let his faith grow weak, even though he had to wait and wait and wait and wait. He considered his own body now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. But he did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God. Here's the thing. The opposition does not weaken us. The, the impossibility of the situation does not weaken us because we have had a divine encounter with God. We understand the power of God, and we know it's available to us, and we know it's for us. And so there is divine power in us. And so the opposition, the lack of seeing the fulfilled promise, does not weaken us. He did not grow weak, despite the fact he didn't get what he was promised yet. But he grew strong and empowered by faith, the opposite. This is our story. It is painful. The waiting is painful. It's, it, the waiting is, is like a burr under the saddle, right? We can't, it's rubbing, it's, we're aware of it, it's there, but it doesn't weaken us. We'll grow stronger in the waiting. When, if you look back on the trials that you've gone through with God, now not all trials make us stronger, only when we go through faith, when you look back and you trust God and you walk with God and you've gone through that thing, you will, not, you will not look back and say, I'm weaker now than when I started. You will look back and say, that transformed me. I am thankful for it. I mean, and I, I, all these 10 years of, since that encounter happened for me, it's, got, it's been one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And I'm like, I am thankful. I, see, I didn't see myself back then. I didn't see how much I needed to be turned into a stone but it made me strong. It will if we have faith. So it did, it, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that God had the power to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake alone was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom righteousness will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead because of our justification our acquittal, absolving us of all sin before God. I mean, our faith. We are absolved of all sin before God, and it is power in our waiting because we have received divine revelation of what, what we are to do step by step by step. What, what we can't do is do what we feel like doing. You cannot, if you are dictated by what you feel like, You'll be flaky. You will have one foot in each. You will be like the waves tossed up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. One minute you'll do the right thing. The next thing you Our feelings are such liars. And you will be a complete flake. And you will be a complete train wreck. 
you, you know, I just talked about how I had to put to death all my feelings regarding how I felt about my marriage. All my, all my feelings regarding everything, everything I felt had to go on the altar. There couldn't be what my friends thought. You know, when I got, when I, when I had this divine encounter with God and I started telling people, everybody was like, girl, you're crazy. And my friends love me. So they're just like, and we love you. And at least you're not like snorting cocaine or something. So go ahead, go be a crazy God girl. You know, like you could be doing something way worse. So we'll, you know, they were just like patting me on the head and being like, oh, she's so crazy, but whatever. You know, we don't care because they love me. But they, this wasn't real to them. And, and you know, the, the story goes when I, when I died to my feelings. So they had, my friends had seen me in August. This encounter with God happened in September. And I was back in November. And when they saw me in August, my best friends, they were like, we're afraid you will be dead. We, we, they literally cried. They, thought, they said, we'll never see you. We don't feel like we're going to see you again. You are so low and this is so bad. We just feel like something really terrible is about to happen. And I got on the plane and I flew back to Oklahoma and I had a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit and I told them all and they're just like, whatever, Steph, we love you. Bye. And I'm like, oh, no, this is so real. This is so real. And I showed up. I got back there in November, and my, I, you know, uh, my girlfriend had something to do, the girlfriend I was staying at. So I got a, a taxi or whatever to her house, and it's like midnight by the time I get in. She turned the porch light on. She saw my face, and she said, oh, my God, this is real. Because the divine encounter just changed my appearance. And that night, we stayed up for like an hour and talked. And by the next morning, she said, we're going to assemble all of our friends. And we assembled all of our friends. This is why I had lots of friends there, but this particular group of friends. We assembled them, and I told them about my divine encounter. And, you know, it's funny because they're all very um, waspy, mainline, Ivy League, you know, buttoned up, you know. And we're sitting in this huge house and this whole, and they're all so buttoned. And I tell them about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell them what I discovered. And I tell them, and the power of the Holy Spirit fell on that room. And it was, we stayed in that house for three days, basking in the power of the divine encounter of the Holy Spirit that they had. Because I just passed it on to them. I'm three months into this thing. And I have changed so much. I have now passed it on. Because it can't be contained. I didn't have it all right. I was like Peter. I was, wait, Simon Peter, Simon Peter, you know. But I was sincere towards God. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't earning it. I was having faith in it, which is totally, religion was gone from my life forever. The scaffolding had been shattered. And I now lived by divine encounter, and it was a whole new ballgame. And not only was I being saved, but I, here I am. Three months ago, they were like, you're going to be dead. And they cried and begged and wailed and told me not to go back. And three months later, I'm bringing the divine encounter to them. How do you go from not only am I no longer in the gutter, but now I'm changing the world around me. That's what the power of a divine encounter does. That's who we were created to be. We were created to be Peter, our own Peter. Each of us has a different version of what Peter is for us because we each have our own body part, right? The body of Christ is the, it says it's a body. We each have our own part to play. So that so. It is um, not based on feelings, though. It, we cannot do it based on what I feel like because our feelings 
I'm going to feel like I need to go self-medicate by doing X, Y, Z to make myself feel better. And, you know, that just gets you deeper in the ditch with Satan. You now open the door bigger and bigger and bigger. Everything, see, if it's not divine, if you're not doing things based on divine revelation, every single thing you try to do to make it better, you're going to go one step in further into Simon, one step further into Simon, one step further away from Peter. You get further and further and further away from Peter because it's not divine revelation. Everything else will be a deception. We no longer cross our fingers and roll the dice and hope things work out. That's gone. We're solid. We are solid in Christ. We, 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 we know what God is not flaky. He's not up and down. He says, it says he's the same today, yesterday, forever. He takes us one step higher from higher to higher, the Bible says. So it, when we live in divine revelation, we don't know how we're going to get from Peter, from Simon to Peter. We just know he's going to show us a little step, but we're going to follow it. And every single day, we're going to get closer to what God created us to be, our own identity. How, how many books are out there trying to find your identity? How many? It is your identity. When you get a divine revelation about who Jesus is, your identity will be prophesied to you and it will fall on you and you will have your purpose and you will have your calling and you will live it and you will change the world. Period. So it says, mm, upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock is Peter, right? But the rock is revelation. The word for rock there. Um, it's not, so, so first of all, you have to, let's just back up for one second. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was a spoken word. That's what revelation is, a spoken word to our soul. It started with the spoken word. It started with divine revelation. And so it says, upon, um, the, 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 upon this rock, I will build my church. The word church, the Greek word is Ecclesia, and it means those who are called out. Uh, though we are called out. And when we are called out, we are called out to call others out. We are called out of living in this world where, where what, what we base things on what is seen. We're, we are changed and transformed to the unseen. We understand that, there, that the unseen world is more real than what the seen world is. You know, we were talking this morning about the all the spiritual stuff that happens every time before I teach. Because the unseen world is more real than the seen world. We stop living so flesh and blood. The, the, we, we, the, the called out realize that, that what, what lasts forever is the unseen. You know, eternity is not what we see. Our, our loved ones die. They go to heaven. It is, a unseen, it, is, it is in the unseen realm that lasts forever. This is temporary. We stop living so surface, you know, so we are called out to call others out, which is exactly what I just told you. That's exactly what happened. You know, as soon as you are filled, people, God will draw people. God will choose who your assignment is, and he will draw people to you, and then he will give you the words. He will give you the knowledge. He will give you the whatever it is that they need. Christianity, a selfish Christian is a waste of air. We were, we, to, to be self, our purpose is to, the, 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 what, Peter was the rock, the called out one on to the, the, the revelation word. So when he says, I build it upon my rock, see, this is where I was having a hard time putting this into my notes. Revelation 
I, I, the word, another word for rock in that, that thing is revelation. In other words, I build my church upon this divine revelation. Peter helped build the church, but then he died, right? He's been gone for thousands of years. He means divine revelation. I build my church upon the divine revelation. And the point of the divine revelation is to call us out so that we will call other people out. It is to grow. It is to spread. It is to, it is to bring light wherever we go, to bring power, to bring hope. Um, it, we, Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in your womb, in, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. So we, you know, we use this a lot for abortion, right? Because we know that God, before he even knew us, before we were formed in our mother's womb, he knew us. That's crazy. Before that sperm and that egg ever joined together, God knew us. There's no accident. He knew us before there was ever even a joining of the sperm and the egg. That's crazy. But he knew us, and he had plans for us, it says. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's own workmanship, his handiwork. We're his handiwork. He has formed us. He knows us before, we, before, before our parents knew us, before anybody knew us. And it says, recreated in Christ Jesus, so we were recreated, Simon to Peter, that we may do those good works which he predestined, he planned ahead. He planned ahead for us to do these works because we are called out and we are meant to call others out. That's what the divine encounter does. Taking paths that you prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he pre-prepared and made ready for us to live. He wants us to live a good life, a full life, a joyful life, a powerful life. So we call out so we can call other people out. And that's a big part of this. That, that's why he's saying I build my, my rock of the church on this divine revelation so that you can grow other people. You know, we no longer see people as they are. When we meet people now, we see their potential, their calling. You know, and, and, and that's how you live. I mean, I, I think each of us at one point or the other have had a conversation. I'm like, I can see your calling. And a lot of times people can't see their own calling. I couldn't see my own calling. Someone had to speak it over me. So God uses another person to speak your calling over you, and then you speak it over somebody else. And we no longer live this small life. We see the potential in everything. The stuff that people call, call trash. You know, it was the prostitutes and the tax collectors who were the treasures. But everybody said they were trash. It, you, know, you know what I do with my, my work. I, I, you know, find a house that is trash. And you know what's crazy is now investors, we're fighting over that trash because people have come to realize that that trash is really a treasure. You drive past a house that looks like trash, but it's turned into treasure, and that's the souls around us. And we see souls, and they seem like they're trash, but they are treasure, and we're meant to pull that out of them. And that's our calling. That's our purpose is to see the beauty and the purpose and the calling in each person. And it says... So not only is there the calling and the purpose, but there's power because it says the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of Hades will not prevail. So what's interesting is the Greek word for that, Hades, is also the unknown. What is this thing 
that often robs us of our faith, that often brings us into anxiety, fear, and we all know that fear and faith cannot coexist, the unknown. The gates of the unknown cannot prevail against you. Interestingly enough, unknown and Hades are coexisting. So we all know that hell is the demonic, but it's also the unknown. So often that's what robs us. And he says the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I'm going to build your life on divine revelation one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. And the hell that feels like it's coming against you, because you feel like hell is coming against you. And it is. It is coming. It doesn't just feel like it. It is. But if you will not live by feeling, if you will live by faith, if you will obey what I told you to do, then guess what? It'll come against you, but it cannot prevail. The, the weapons will form against you. He doesn't keep the weapons from forming against us, but it says they will not prosper. The gates of hell cannot prosper. I got you. I have conquered death. The one who conquered death is the one who's fighting for us and guiding each and every little step by divine revelation. We cannot be conquered. We cannot be destroyed. We cannot be removed from the good path and the blessing God has for us if we will live this way. It says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's pretty amazing to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You want to talk about a blessing? How do you give a, how do you give a bigger blessing? How could God, what's a bigger blessing than God saying, because you live in divine revelation, I'm giving you, I'm making you what you're not, I'm giving you your divine purpose, you will walk in power even though you don't have it all right, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We give keys to cities, right? Can you imagine being given the keys to the kingdom of heaven? But he is. That's for us. It's the kingdom of heaven. We will fight every demonic force, every lie that, keep, that, that keeps people bound, every, every, every horrible thing that comes against us. We have the keys because what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And, and what does that mean? But there is no greater blessing. Binding means bringing things together. There are things that are separated that you need to bring together, that I need to bring together. Look at this table. God used me to bring this together. God had me meet Sarah. Sarah had me meet Fanny. I met Sherry. I introduced these two who are now like the, you know, Thelma and Louise of Sedgefield, you know. I mean, but, you know, we're meant to bring together, you know. We bring together. We're supposed to bind things together that are separated. Satan loves, he is a great separate. He wants to separate marriages, children families, homes, churches, we're there to bind them together. But we're, there's also things we're supposed to loosen. We're supposed to loosen demonic strongholds. We're supposed to loosen every unholy, ungodly alliance, and we have the power to do that. Through prayer, through understanding our power. If you understand that you have the power to bind and loosen things in other people's lives by prayer, by speaking it over them, by speaking truth to them, even when they may or may not want to hear it? Do you understand what you loosen? And we talked last week about speaking the truth, right? That loosens things in people's lives. We, it, we have the power and the authority to do that. In the spirit realm, 
We've been given the keys of heaven. Uh, there's no great, how, how can he put it, how can he make it any bigger for us? But it comes with divine revelation. This is the blessing that comes with divine revelation. The, the things with our children, our grandchildren, our, we have the power. We don't just say, oh, man, this is awful. They're just making bad choices. We, we say no. And by prayer, I bind that over you. I loosen it in the name of Jesus Christ. That will leave this generation, that will leave this family in the name of Jesus Christ. I have the authority. I can bind anything on earth and it will be bound in heaven. And I can loosen anything on earth and it will be loosed in heaven. And I loosen you from that addiction, that stronghold, that evil, that lie. I loosen it in the name of Jesus. They don't even have to be present. They may not be ready for that. But you speak that over them in faith through divine revelation and you have power, and you no longer sit and wring your hands about what this, they're doing and not doing and what, what we're supposed to do, what they're supposed to do, blah, 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 blah. You know, we, we have the power of the kingdom of heaven. We do. Our anointing, a God in our lives, has the power to loosen people from evil, our family from evil, it doesn't matter how long that stronghold, that lie, that deception, that addiction, that fill-in-the-blank has been there. doesn't matter how long it's been there. doesn't matter how far back of the generations it goes. It doesn't matter how deeply rooted and fortified that thing is. Our anointing, because of our divine encounter, gives us the keys to do it. But we have to do it. We have to live in that power through divine revelation. There is treasure in each and every one of us. There is power in each and every one of us, and we were meant to live that way every day of our lives. And when we see it, I, I, you know, I see things all the time, driving down the road or whatever, and I'll, I, you, know, you can see somebody who's bound up. And I'll just drive down the road, and I'll, you know, I'm not somebody who tends to give money to people who are asking because there's a lot of, you know, there's some people do and some people don't. I don't. That's not, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I, I will give to somebody who will help them, not enable them. So, but I will pray for them. I see people bound up in that. And, I, and, you know, that's what Peter said. The man was begging, right? And he came to Peter and Peter said, I won't give you gold or silver, but I'll pray for you. And he was healed. And I pray for these people. I say, Lord Jesus, they're bound up in evil. I plead the blood of Jesus over them. I pray the power of Jesus over them. And I loosen them from that evil. Nothing's impossible for you, God. Look at this. Look at what they're living in. Look at this awful state they're in. I plead the blood of Jesus. That's the greatest gift you could get. And this is my final thing. We're almost through this sermon, you guys. It's a little bit longer. But Jesus said to them at the very end, this is interesting. So Jesus starts out by saying, who do you say the son of man is, right? The son of man. Now, he could have called himself the son of God because he's both. He didn't call himself the son of God. He called himself the son of man. Totally underplayed, right? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Interestingly enough, Jesus is not promoting himself. He, he, himself, he knows. I'm going to read a lot of this because I, I, I really gave it thought. He knows that the divinity of who he is can only come to those who have been given divine revelation. It doesn't come by us promoting ourselves. You know, you look at this table, I mean, God drew each of you, you know? I mean, God had Fanny come to me. God had Robin come to me. 
Lisa was listening to my sermons years before I met her. You know, Sarah, I met across the fence, and there was an instant connection. You know, Catherine didn't come because I called her. I'm just saying Iris was my blessing. I prayed for her for years. Um, I asked God to send her to me. What I'm saying is God will give those who are meant for you divine revelation. Sherry and I had an instant connection. We couldn't even explain it. We didn't even understand it between the four of us. You know, we didn't know her husband was going to pass and we were going to go through all this. We were going to live this life together and we were going to be there for that. God knew. God chose it. God planned it. God God chose us to be there that night when that happened with Jim. There was a divine purpose. And we don't even understand all the fullness of that. The point is we don't have to self-promote because Everybody else around Jesus thought he was a good teacher, he was a prophet, he was only through divine revelation. So you've got the Pharisees, the religious ones, they were downright evil. They said he was demon-possessed. They called Jesus the Messiah demon-possessed. And guess what? The religious ones will come against this teaching just as strong. I can tell you a religious person, if they sat here and listened to this, they would be going crazy. And they, and they do. And they're just as vicious today as they were then. So you've got that one, or you've got those who just don't have revelation, and they're like, we don't know what to make of it. You know, there's something, something here, something, you know, he's a teacher. He's a, but Jesus is like, only through divine revelation will you really know. And he didn't have to go promoting it because God would give it to those who God, who would receive it. And if they're not going to receive it, you can't make them do it anyway, right? You can't push that on them. You, you can't force that on them. You're going to have to let people choose or not choose. So Jesus did that. He, did, he said, who's the son of man? You're the son of the living God. Only God can give that to you. I'm not going to promote myself with this. He knew that his anointing would speak for itself to those who would have divine revelation. He didn't have to self-promote. Here's, okay, I wrote this down. Favor from God is sustainable. If it is favor from God and God has sent them to you, it will sustain if you have to promote yourself to be great, it pretty much proves you're not. If we have to promote ourselves, then we're not living in the favor. We're not great. We're just, we're just hyping it up. You know, it's interesting. I wanted my husband to love me so badly and tried so many things. And... I mean, he did love me in his own broken way, but there was just no connection. What's interesting is when I stopped trying and just started living as God told me, just being a loving person, but my focus was no longer trying to get my husband to pay attention, to notice, to be there, to blah, blah, blah. And I was living, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the Bible says all the rest will be added unto us. And I'm like, he wasn't even on my radar. I mean, he was on my radar to be loving and kind and devoted and committed. But I was seeking first God and I barely even prayed for him. It's funny because my mom would pray for him all the time. And I would say, I'm glad you are because I really don't. Cause I'm, and that's not my focus right now. I need to focus on what God's called me to do. And when we do that, his heart changed. Took three years, but his heart changed. And I never was, I stopped trying to promote myself to my husband. I stopped trying to, you know, I would try to bang him over the head to notice me. I'd yell, I'd scream, I'd try, I'd, you know, gussy myself up. I, you know, I tried everything. I tried all the stuff you try to do. And nothing did it. But, but guess what does do it? 
the kingdom of God, you know, that made me great in my husband's eyes, who I wanted to love me. God wants your husband to love you. But it wasn't all the shenanigans I tried. It wasn't all the things I thought, well, maybe if I say it this way, maybe if I try this, maybe if I do this, none of that. Uh uh-uh. And it was three years later. It took three years. God spoke to him in a dream in the middle of communist China. You know, I mean, God does it in the most amazing ways. And I wasn't praying for him when it happened. I wasn't fasting for him. I wasn't, you know, what I'm saying is God does it when we put him first. And then then he makes us great in the eyes of those, not us great for our sake. See, here's the thing. We call people forward to know God, but it's no longer to attract it to us. It's to attract them to God. And what's funny is my heart for my husband became, I want him to know Jesus the way I have. And he was making fun of me all the time. So he thought I had gone loony, and it didn't hurt my feelings at all. And I was okay with it because I knew I wasn't. And I knew the fact was he was dead and I was alive. And eventually I was going to let him be God's business and not mine. And, and, and guess what? God did it. God did it in his way because I was no longer trying to make myself great. I was no, because the selfishness has to go aside, I was trying to make God great. And when we make God great, then he brings to us that people just have that divine revelation of knowing because it's our purpose and it's our calling. And it's what God has assigned to us and blessed us with. So it's a lot of information in this uh, today. And I just pray it's a lot of information, but it's three weeks worth. So you can maybe listen to it a couple of times. But let me pray over us. I think I'm going to end. No. Yeah, I think I'm going to end the recording here because I want to just pray over, over us. Let me just end this.